Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you listening. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time I spoke with Becky Walsh, comedian and author. We spoke about her work in science, technology, engineering, art and maths with a sense of humour. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is a champion for social impact, an award-winning global tech entrepreneur incubating telemedicine, e-learning and financial inclusion products. And they are also a TED speaker. And they also happen to be an everyday kind of person. I'd like to welcome Shane Koja to my podcast. Hi, Shane. How are you? Hi, Lou. Very excited to be here and have a conversation with you. Oh, fantastic. It's great to have you here. I know we've been trying to organise this conversation for a little while. So I'd like you to share some of your background, talk about your what projects you're working on right now. Um, I know you're working on thriving.ai, which if you'd like to explain a bit further what that means, and then we can talk about how that came to came to fruition. Terrific. Thank you, Lou. And thanks for hosting me today. So I'm a physiotherapist by profession, and I had a 10-year history of owner-operating my own clinics across four continents. Uh, And then in 2003, I had the opportunity to go out to Afghanistan, where uh, I set up with five founding members, a tech company. And my role was to use technology for social good around all the things you talked about, telemedicine, e-learning, market prices for farmers, financial inclusion, et cetera. And then whilst I was doing all of this, I had a family issue where I was caring for older parents and in-laws at distance. Uh, And I lost three of my parents, my in-laws and my father. And I was caring for my mother at distance. And on one occasion, despite the bells and whistles that I had for her, she fell and I didn't find her for nine hours. And she went from full independence to dependence on me with two caregivers. And that was kind of the catalyst that brought me back to build thriving.ai And very quickly, Thriving.ai is basically tackling the issue of the fragmented and siloed caregiving in terms of health and social care. It's trying to bring it all together. It's really what I learned years back that people don't need just financial help, social help, healthcare help. They need it all. And if they're forever busy trying to chase this, they're never going to be able to live a productive life. And it was similar when we were trying to deal with poverty alleviation, right? If a poor person is chasing a job, chasing education, chasing healthcare, you know, chasing the next thing for their kids, when is there time to be productive in life? So that's the mission of thriving.ai. And ultimately, my my vision is that, you know, you grow old with thriving.ai so that you focus on health and wellness rather than treatment. Uh, and that's what 90% of the population want. Um, firstly, I want to share my condolences. I'm sorry for your loss. I have one, one parent still alive um, and, you know, kind of partly know, know the feeling of loss. 
but I'm not at the position where I'm a caregiver as yet. Uh, and that's kind of quite a, a difficult situation for any any of us that have to be in that situation. You know, you, you talked about work in Afghanistan and, you know, financial inclusion. Um, maybe we should kind of go there first. We'll come back to the, the very important thriving.ai and the kind of caregiving and being an all-round support and being able to manage everything. But obviously, that that wasn't your first kind of introduction into technology, no. um, various other things in between. So talk to me about the financial inclusion. So it's very interesting that in a country like Afghanistan, less than 3% of the population were banked at that time. It's a very cash-based society, and they have something called the Havala method, which is really you go and give somebody money that, that owns a store that's in a container and you literally give them a bag of cash and it's guaranteed to reach the destination on the other side. It's purely trust. There's no signing or whatever. Yeah. And as a result of that, as international communities came in, they had to disperse cash. And of course, there's corruption with that, there's skimming with that, there's theft with that. And so how could we address this issue from an individual's perspective? Because on the other side, a bank can bank somebody that's got $10,000 or pounds or $5,000 or pounds, but somebody that's on five bucks or 50 bucks a month, it's just not financially viable. And so the solution was to look at an electronic banking platform that could be used through the telephone. And because the the masses of the population knew about buying airtime minutes and then using them and that going down, they could understand that if they put money in and they did a transaction, then the balance would be a lower amount. So that's what we brought in. And what that meant was that, you know, the poorest person could be banked now. And it was a viable business because the overnight deposit interests of millions of people depositing money in paid for the platform and the transactions. But there were greater benefits to this. One was that, you know, the military used to helicopter and drive bags of cash to pay Afghan soldiers. And they would be hit by bombs and IEDs and so forth or be held up. Well, there wasn't this now. And there's a very funny story, Lou, because when we first started to do this, we had an ad that showed a telephone and an Afghani note going in. And our call center had a deluge of calls because they were looking at the phone and saying, (laughs) where does the note go in? Now, to you and me, that's funny. But to them, they had never been exposed to something like that. So that brought us back to, you know, this person-centered thinking around Mm. what does the Afghan understand, right? Uh, Another funny story was that the first time we dispersed cash to Afghan soldiers, they actually came over to the office with their guns and uh, so forth and said, you know, you've robbed us, we don't have our money. And that's when we realized that they cannot read that text, 
right? Yeah. They can't read the text that tells yeah. them that your money's in here, right? So we put that right and put in a voice yeah. voicemail to them. The next month, they came and kissed everybody in the office, which was very overwhelming <laughs> because they thought they got a pay rise because they got 30% more because now the commander and the lieutenant and the colonel yep. and whoever it was that was skimming could no mm. longer skim. Oh, wow. Goodness. So, you I've know, got chills was, even listening to that story. Goodness. There were some very interesting lessons that we learned yes. along the way. And, uh, you know, I think that's been the case in my life that I've always been curious and I've always wanted to help. And I have these key moments in my lifetime where mm. somebody has stopped me that I'm trying to help. They've stopped yeah. me and they've had a conversation with me that has grounded me to mm. think about their needs rather than what I want to do. And if I have time, I'll tell you one more story. Yes, please, 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 please. So, so this was in early days. I was living in Pakistan and I started helping Afghan refugees in Rawalpindi, which is kind of a little area, like if you think about South Ken or Tooting Beck or Tooting Broadway. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was winter time. So November, December, it gets very cold. And I went to see these kids and we were trying to set up schools. And Lou, I can see them today, right? Their fingertips and their toenail, you know, toes were purple, blue, blue purple because they didn't have socks or shoes. They had a skimpy shirt and a pair of shorts, right? Uh, And they had nothing to eat. And I was heartbroken because I had kind of long johns on. I had a shalvar kameez, which is kind of the trousers and the dress with a cardigan, a shawl and a headscarf, right? Mm. Um, and, And I was still cold, right? So I went home that evening and I said to the whole family, we had two little children and my husband, I said, anything that's spare, I want it in a bag. I'm going to take it back tomorrow so that these kids can get dressed, right? Yeah. And so I took it back, and uh, there's a lawyer jerga, a group of Afghans that usually in the community that run the community. And I said to the head, I said, this is for the children. Please distribute it. Then it was the weekend. As I came back on the Monday, I'm walking through the marketplace, which is called Chani Chok, just for interest. And like seeing, that's, that's my T-shirt. That's my kid's sweater, right? And I'm thinking, what what is going on? So I was really angry by the time I got to to the location. And I said, excuse me, I don't understand. You know, I brought these clothes for the kids and I see them being sold. And he gently put his hand on my shoulder. He's an older gentleman. Hmm. And he said, sister, we're really grateful, but we don't need clothes. We need food. And that story has always stayed with me, right? That stayed with me because I just saw what I saw. Yeah. I didn't ask what they needed. And I think that's the first lesson. When you're building anything or providing a product or a service, you know, you can identify the need. Yeah. But then you need to kind of speak to the people that you think that need is affecting 
and ask them, is this what you need or is it something else? Yes, that they were three incredible stories, <laughs> Shane. Uh, I'm completely touched and, and they will resonate with me for a long while, certainly in, in the context of asking what's needed rather than assuming from a, a visual perspective. And, you know, we, we have so many senses um, there to use, but actually, you know, it's not just from our eyes. You know, we have to ask questions, we have to listen, we have to feel, we have to really get inside what's going on to really understand the needs of a potential customer or, you know, a, a friend or family member. And I think that's Absolutely. that's kind of really key. It's really making, uh, humanising kind of everything and and I know we're talking in terms of technology but this is a this is almost a life lesson chain I love it <laughs> yes no it's certainly shaped my life yes so you kind of spoke about the the customer feedback piece as well you know going from guns rocking up in your office to you know a month later having kisses because yes. you know of the impact of of what you your intervention and the technology you put in place you know that's that's quite incredible feedback and i hope if any um tech developers <laughs> entrepreneurs out there hopefully it's never as extreme extreme as as guns and, and kisses but um somewhere in between i would hope the feedback from customers is absolutely vital when it comes to building, producing content, creative or, or technology in that sense. And I think, you know, there's some wonderful lessons to be learned from all of those. And we kind of get involved in ourselves when we're building technology. We, and, we, do. we uh, do. And it kind of comes becomes a, a kind of self-centered thing. But actually, we're, we're producing something for other people and that's the really mindful piece that uh, I think you've just very yeah. eloquently demonstrated <laughs> with your stories. I, I think Lou what is really important and and I struggle with it sometimes is that remember I'm taking you back in time to 2003 mm. to 2007 right that's almost yes. 20 years ago right yes. financial inclusion today is everywhere right but at that time it was relatively new and mm -hmm. we were fortunate that Vodafone agreed to partner with us. But you're always struggling as an entrepreneur because you have the vision of where you're trying to take people. And then you've got to be mindful of the, the problem set being something that resonates with them. And then that journey is all about user design, user yes. interface. And that is a minefield of its own, right? Um, if I talk about thriving.ai, the first, the first thing was dealing with older people. You can't really walk around with a paper, you know, um, prototype. Like I tried mm. that. I got a file and I cut out an iPhone and then I had two pencils and a scroll, right? As people tap something on my piece of paper. But because they'd not experienced that, Mm. It made no real sense to them, right? So then we did an Envision prototype, right, that kind of tapped and did things. And they liked it, but they actually needed the end result to happen. So we actually had to build a prototype. Now, you know, we built the prototype, the first prototype. It was 14 steps to onboard. Yeah. And 10 out of 10 testers 
did no did not go beyond the first step because Ooh. they put their name in and the next thing we asked for was their credit card details. Ah. Uh. And nobody wanted to do that until they knew that their parent could use the application. Lesson oh, number see. one, right? <laughs> so you yeah. might ask about design and everything, but you've also got to understand a little bit about the risks and the barriers, right? Yeah. Fraud is major on people's minds, right? Yes. The second thing is, will my parent be able to use this and so forth? But it was interesting that in that same process of uh, designing and the 14 steps, uh, I had a parent and a child ask me to onboard them. So I said I'd do it in person. And so I had the mum tap tapping away on the iPad yeah. because, you know, she's 94 and she had never done this before, right? But she was tap tapping away and her son and I were struggling with these 14 steps. So, you know, I left and I was really down because I thought I had done this properly. Yeah. But clearly, even when you've done it properly, you, you have to touch the customer, watch the customer go yeah. through with it and even today, like, you know, we've iterated and we're on our third version that people are using and we're doing pilots. But every now and again, I will sit with the customer and I will watch what they are doing yes. and get feedback from them because things change, right? We, I have older adults that write their email and password and keep it with their iPad or they'll put a post-it mm. on, which obviously is not a safe way to operate. Yeah. So we've got, you know, automatic remembrance of their email and password on their device once they've first checked in yeah. so that if the internet crashes or whatever, when they next check in, it's anonymized and pre-populated. Yeah. But you only learn this when you sit with a client. Otherwise, yeah. you won't know. I agreed. Do you have a website but still don't feel you're getting enough engagement? Do you wonder why your competitors' websites seem to be performing better? Well, Lutec are currently offering a free website and social media health scan to give you a benchmark idea into how your site and accounts are currently performing. Lutec's mission is to get as many of the 9 million inactive websites in the UK active with regular content that will bring your SEO Google ranking to the top 10 in your sector with its monthly subscription, including hosting, security, SEO development and social media content so you can be found by your ideal clients. Register now at lutec.co.uk forward slash healthscan for your free website and social media review. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett and today I'm talking with Shane Koja, global change maker, serial entrepreneur and founder of Thriving.ai. So Thriving.ai is an app supporting caregivers and their, their people that they're caring for in terms of notifications, actions. Maybe you can expand a bit more in what, sure. what your app does. So, Lou, what we're trying to do in the app is we're trying to bring the care recipient, who we refer to as the thriver, yes. um, with their circle of care around them so that everyone can monitor, 
coordinate care and communicate Uh because so much is lost and so much time is lost in actually getting a message to son, daughter, social worker, GP. Um, And at the same time, you know, the thriver is often kind of waiting, knowing that Shane, the physio is coming on Thursday, but not sort of knowing what time or where they are or anything of that nature. Yeah. Um, And so this is a really good way of bringing everyone together, everyone that you need Mm -hmm. in one place. So on it, we have the ability to monitor a thriver's mood and pick up on the small things before they become big so that you avoid hospitalizations and the yeah. costs and disruptions. Yes, because I guess they, they might sit there in their space and there might be things that they would normalize in terms of their life, um, but actually they're, they're things that once escalate beyond a, a number of hours, days or weeks would potentially become a bigger exactly. health factor. Um, exactly and maybe, then, maybe that's the loneliness piece or the the health or yeah. the my leg hurts or whatever it, you is it those sorts exactly. of things yes so basically within the app there are lots of resources and learning journeys just to keep them engaged and not feel so isolated and lonely mm. there's a very easy way to communicate video or call so that you know, you can contact your friends, you can contact a loved one, there's photo sharing, quizzes, and so forth, so that you can keep yourself occupied. And then those around you, I know as a caregiver, I'm busy every day. And so if I'm on the train, or if I'm out for a walk, and I see a beautiful rose, I can just capture that picture and send it to mum. It's not the picture. It's the fact that mum gets something that she would like. She knows that I'm thinking of her. And that releases better endorphins for her. Yes, absolutely. And then what you have is the ability of everyone that's involved in care updating whoever needs to be updated in real time, right? Mm. So I know that her informal caregiver came in and mum had breakfast and is washed and bathed and she's fine, right? Um, if it's the social worker that went to see mum and do an assessment, you know, she may want to contact the physio or the OT, do a telemedicine link and have that all teed up instead of going back to the office, writing yeah. an email and so forth, right? Which yeah. days pass and uh, people are distressed when there's a delay and uncoordinated care. Yeah. So thriving is trying to bring all that coordination together so that 90% of the people that say that they want to age independently in their own home can do so. Yes. I see lots and lots of or hear lots and lots of benefits and, um, you know, the the connected approach to living and thriving. uh, And already my mind is going, oh, yes, my father had a problem with this. There's the backwards and forwards of the prescriptions or the GP or the hospital and all the connected things that actually just cause a lot of stress on individuals you know the the thriver themselves let alone um you know the the person that might be in that 
network having to listen to all of those challenges (laughs) Um, whilst I'm a patient person um, (laughs) and mostly you know that that, that's kind of the the extra time and you go actually I just want to talk about something really nice I don't want to hear your challenges or all of your this that and the other and then a half an hour story of the mishaps with all sorts of caregiver type things so I can personally see the benefit um, from a very selfish perspective but um, you know streamlining yeah (laughs) you 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 touch on a really important point right because am I my mother's daughter or am I her carer yeah and there is a difference right because Mm. conversations go from hi mum hug and kiss and oh I baked a cake for you today oh mom I love that cake do you remember when conversations like that disappear because it's like hi mom how are you did you sleep well have you had some breakfast what did you eat what did you you see what I mean yeah it's subtle but it's Mm. different and in a way you almost as a carer walk a very fine line Mm. Lots of carers that we talked to, you know, literally sobbed because they mm-hmm. felt that in living they had lost that relationship. Yeah. And it had become that they had become administrators rather than children. Yeah. So that's where, you know, when I reflect on my own life, I hope that I will remain healthy and well, but I never want to be a burden to my kids. Mm. Even if they don't express it, you know, it's hard enough to make a living and coordinate kids, family and career without having to coordinate care for mum as well. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the points, you know, is like you're suggesting, it's getting back to the core of human relationships rather than the admin of human relationships. And that's the bit that I think as as we age gets lost because we have so many responsibilities and actually how wonderful would life be if we were able to connect with with our human loveliness and all the kindness that that life brings rather than the administration and I think your your app kind of you know for me that's the really heartfelt piece that you know if a piece of technology can support getting us back to being more human and connected then that that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's support. Technology can support. It's not there to replace the human touch. Mm. You know, if you are a caregiver and you've got 35 minutes, if you're lucky, it's now actually (laughs) down to three minutes. But if you've got 30 minutes to spend providing care, Mm. it's ludicrous that you should spend 15 minutes filling out forms. Yes. Absolutely. So the idea here is that timeliness in that coordination and letting people know it's all pre-populated so that you spend minimal time on that and maximum time on that human connection. Yeah. And that's that's what makes people healthier. You know, in my 10 years of owner operating my clinics, I used to have lots of interns come in and I told all of them, I said, 50% of getting the patient better is having that relationship and warmth where they trust that you are going to get them better. Yes. And it's that partnership to betterness Mm. that helps. Obviously, the treatment helps, 
but it's that connection and trust that is absolutely essential. Without it, you're not going to get there. Yes. And you talked about, um, you know, being a burden on on family members from a, an ageing perspective. Do you kind of think that that's a cultural societal piece for our age group? Or do you think that that's a, a society piece that, you know, younger generations are going to feel as well? I think sadly, or happily, we are all going to age, right? Mm -hmm. We're all going to age. Some of us will age better than others. But as the statistics show us, we are going to be 2.1 billion people that are over the age of 60 by 2050, right? Predominantly, the majority of us will have two or three comorbidities. So we'll have something like diabetes, respiratory, um, osteoarthritis, or some other sort of ailment. And we're all going to need support in some way. Mm. We're also going to live longer than, you know, our grandparents did, for example. And we need to prepare now because as a society... We've been very focused the past decades on youth, on youthfulness. Beauty is younger uh, and we've become quite ageist. And growing old is actually a natural course of life. And -hmm. there's a lot of beauty in that. One has to see it. And it's time, I think, for a story again, because when I was training as a physio, I had an assignment at the Royal Free Hospital, and at that time, the geriatric department. And in that department, they had a poem up on the wall, and I believe it's still there at the Royal Free if you go. And it's um, anonymous, and it was written by one of the women patients. And I'll just abbreviate it here. And it says, look at me, nurse look at me again. I'm not the crabby old woman that's sitting in front of you. I'm a twinkle in my father's eye. I'm a three-year-old being swung on a swing. I'm a 16-year-old first in love with a skip of my heart. I'm a young bride. I'm a mother. And so it goes on and it says, Mm. look at me again. I'm not the crabby old woman in front of you. It's a highly emotional poem. And it always struck me, it, it struck me that one forgets, right? One forgets. Mm. And, you know, we, we kind of park people away and put them in these groupings where, you know, everybody old sits together and they play bingo. Now, yes. things have moved on. That's a very harsh description today. Yeah. But, you know, it bears thinking and reflecting a poem such as that because Mm. we will all get there and we may become frail, we may become less dexterous, we may not be able to see as well or swipe as well, we may need to tap and tap hard, but we're still human and we still have those human needs and that is something I think we cannot forget. Yes, well that's a Beautiful story. Um, again, another 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 one of those. Okay, let's let's just see beyond the picture that we have in front of us yeah. and feel into what was. And um, yeah, I think that's really special. Thank you for sharing that, Shane. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Shane Koja, 
global changemaker, serial entrepreneur, and founder of Thriving.ai. So Shane, I want to kind of come to the part of discussion around being um, a female founder in technology, and particularly an older female in the industry. Uh, you know, you you kind of started out. Um, <laughs> I've been quite formal about that. I don't quite know how to be gentle and uh, talk about it. But the the facts are that there are a number of very experienced women who are over the age of 40, 50, or even over the age of 60 that are very fundamental and pivotal in today's technology. Um, and obviously the, the kind of challenges, but society becoming quite ageist in terms of just human nature. Um, and I know, you know, it wasn't so many um, months ago that I felt really uncomfortable saying that I'd been developing websites for 30 years because of the the concept around, you know, if anyone's been doing it that long, then they're really old in the tooth, <laughs> they're stuck in their ways, they're not in innovative and kind of ingenious with their thinking. Um, and that was kind of not my stuff. It was certainly the outside perception when I started to be more confident about actually saying I've been developing websites for 30 years. I'm just saying it again, just to reconfirm <laughs> myself. But, you know, it has some kudos and weight in the industry that I think it, there's a there's a point with owning it and embracing it and, and kind of almost rejoicing it in a celebratory way um you know there are yes <laughs> I, I i think i think it's challenging being a, a woman entrepreneur first right mm. and then secondly being an older uh woman entrepreneur and a woman of color so the most challenging part of this is generally funding so you know not am i just an older woman a woman of color and working in a sector that is very constrained right now with yeah. human services and talent, with money, with government allocation, all of that. Mm. So when you look at the general funding landscape, there are very few investors that actually understand this space and understand the complexity of it. Mm. And so the challenging part for me was that I was trying to bring all these bits together. And unless you really understand the industry, you want your entrepreneur to, you know, build you the Uber of caregiving. Mm. If, if you went to say, oh, I can match thrivers and caregivers, and there's a transaction and I get a commission of it, hundred people will stand up and sign up for it, right? Yes. Where you're trying to build something for an aging population, where you're trying to bring three entities together, health, social care, and the care recipient for yeah. an inclusive, holistic experience and create the data, people kind of their minds boggle. And uh, for, for a story that I don't like, but um, I'll share with you, it was an investor that I met a long time ago now, because uh, I think over the last three years with COVID, people understand a bit more about mm -hmm. caregiving. But, you know, the gentleman said to me at the end of my pitch, he said, you know, that was good. Um, so I said, you know, would you be interested in moving forward? And he said, well, it's like this, Shane. 
you know, like at university, it's all the young chicks that get the money, get get the dates, right? So it, it was kind of wow. like if you were younger, um, you know, we'd look at it. Mm. And I can understand that. And sometimes you do feel a little bit ridiculous bopping up and down on a stage like a 23-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed uh, individual. Mm. But, you know, if you're driven by the mission, you'll do what needs to be done to get there. Yes. I've learned that, you know, you have to look hard and find the right investors to back you. Yeah. And, you know, it's slower, it's harder, yeah. but it's better in the long run because those investors yeah. that back you are actually going to support you and open doors mm. for you than sort of the general people. But, it, you know, it's been an interesting learning experience for me. And despite all my experience, you know, it's interesting that for a large proportion of the world, when you say Afghanistan and you look like I do, they kind of take a step back and think, oh, my gosh, is this an Afghan entrepreneur, right? So I kind of lead with I'm a British national and a Canadian <laughs> national <laughs> and I have an O1 visa to work in the U.S., but I went out with an international yes. agency to help. So, you know, there are these little idiosyncrasies, but it's all part of the fun of doing what I'm doing and part of the, the tear-jerking moments yeah. uh, that building a business is. So with your experience, Shane, for any other female entrepreneurs in the tech space, um, certainly of the the you know, not 20 something, or maybe some of the 20 somethings, some of the tips that you would actually recommend for us to be, you know, embracing, taking note of, uh, and actioning. So look, I think you have to have a thick skin. And I think that you really have to find one or two mentors mm. that can support you through this journey. There will be ups and downs. It is a difficult road, but it's not impossible. And I think take the time, take the time to cultivate the right investors. Yeah. More and more, there are groups of female investors and groups of male investors that are understanding this sector yeah. um, and sectors that women will go into. And so pick those because uh, the opportunities are huge, right? We're talking about 50% mm. of the world's population that need their needs addressed, yeah. right? And today, 70% of carers are women, but mm. there are male carers too, many yes. of them, um, just not enough at this point for it to become a mainstream kind of investing channel. Yeah. So I think um, take the time, get good uh, mentors, find the right investors, and don't give up. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, I, I know that um, we're a little bit short of time. Are you okay for another minute or so? Yes. So we, we also talked a bit about feedback within our sector and kind of understanding the, the kind of imposter syndrome or whether it's a projected imposter syndrome and some of the challenges around um, being a tech founder. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's a really interesting one, Lou, because um, 
you know, in my journey, I've kind of intuitively known what's next. Mm. And, you know, I've been on that path, but very often, you know, I'll meet people, whether it's on an accelerator or it's a, you know, mentor or some grant that I've got where there's somebody putting in inputs and, you know, they will provide advice, right? And in a way you, you take that advice, but it kind of makes you second guess where you're going. Hmm. And maybe that's okay, but I think what I'm learning right now, I don't think I have it pad, but I'm learning to take these inputs and then kind of sift through them to put them into perspective because otherwise you're just going to be going in 12 different directions, right? So, and, and that questioning is not necessarily meant for me. So, you know, I take it as a checkbox, I will take the advice and I will think on it and, you know, weigh up the merit of it and or discard it if, if I don't value it. And I think my, my advice here is go back to those few people that you really trust and be honest and open so that they can really help you work your way through this because you don't want to be second guessing yourself. You do want to be making reality checks, but you don't want to second guess yourself. Yeah. I think that's very, very key advice when kind of listening to feedback or maybe supporters or doubters in in the, the whole journey that we all have an intuition that, you know, just sometimes needs some time to ruminate and, and kind of decide. But, you know, how much you take in and how much you discard from from that feedback to kind of keep exactly. keep driving through for success. Shane, you've made an absolute you know, I, I was in awe when I kind of met you virtually um, and I'm still in awe. Um, your stories are incredible and I am, you know, so looking forward to hearing the rest of your journey um, over time and uh, maybe maybe kind of engaging you as a mentor, Shane. <laughs> I would love to do that, Lou, and thank you for hosting me today. I, I hope that the tips are helpful Absolutely. And uh, the stories are funny and memorable. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I look forward to our engagement in the future, for sure. Wonderful. Um, how can people get hold of you, Shane? It's thriving.ai is the app, but um, is that everywhere right. to download? Yes, on the App Store and the Play Store. And uh, you can go to the website, which is www.thriving.ai. And you can reach me at shane at thriving.ai. And that is S-H-A-I-N at thriving.ai. And I'd be happy to interact with anyone. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I'll make sure all of those are in the show notes. Shane, uh, again, once more, deep thanks and gratitude for your time today and hearing all these wonderful stories. Um, I will be taking them away and uh, kind of taking them to heart and letting them ruminate for for uh, my own progression. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. (laughs) All the best. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. 
I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening.